episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today who is helping to create a better tomorrow uh, on many different fronts. Uh, as a little background to today's show, uh, the United Nations Human Rights Council, uh, or UNHCR, HRC, uh, is a United Nations body whose mission is to promote and protect human rights around the world, uh, and the council investigates the various allegations of breaches of human rights in United Nations member states and ultimately addresses the different thematic human rights issues, including uh, freedom of association and assembly, freedom of expression, freedom of belief and religion, women's rights, LGBT rights, uh, and the rights of racial and ethnic minorities. And in recent years, um, there has been significant advocacy efforts calling for enhanced international thinking and action on the human rights of older persons uh, and the four main challenges that older persons are facing in terms of human rights is discrimination, poverty, violence, and abuse, uh, as well as the lack of specific measures and services to help remedy these. Uh, today, we are honored to be joined by Dr. Claudia Mahler, who currently serves as an independent expert on the human rights of older persons at the United Nations Human Rights Council. Uh, Dr. Mahler has been working for the German Institute for Human Rights uh, as a senior researcher in the field of economic, social, and cultural rights uh, since 2010. Uh, she is also a visiting professor at the Alice Salomon University of Applied Sciences in Berlin. Uh, from 2001 to 2009, Dr. Mahler conducted research at the Human Rights Center of the University of Potsdam, where her main fields uh, were in human rights education, minority rights, and the law of asylum. In 2000, uh, she was appointed Vice President of the Human Rights Commission for uh, Tyrol and Vorarlberg. Uh, she has also worked as a lecturer in the field of human rights law and as consultant to the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in Geneva. Uh, from 1997-2001, she held the position of an assistant at the Leopold Franzen University in Innsbruck, Austria, in the field of criminal law and criminal procedures. She received her doctorate uh, in 2000. We have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, Dr. Claudia Mahler, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here with you. It's, it's great to have you, Claudia. And, and um, you know, I'd like to start off like we typically do by uh, by handing you the floor just for a little bit to, to talk a little bit more about yourself and uh, a little bit about how human rights became such an important issue for you uh, that you've dedicated a substantial part of your career to this theme. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's, I think it's also an interesting story for myself because I, when I look back, uh, I started as, uh, you know, as a lawyer in criminal law and then I realized, you know, this is not where I want to end and I, I found something very interesting and it was human rights and um, as much um, more time I dedicated to this issue, I got more interested and then I started my career, as you already said, as a researcher in the field. And now in a little bit more practical way at the National Human Rights Institute in Germany, in Berlin, where I focused on economic, social and cultural rights, which is an issue which is also already much overlooked uh, and not taken as seriously as political and civil rights. 
So I already came from the angle to fight for something very specific, as you already said, social security, poverty, housing, um, the right to health. So all these issues are very related with specific circumstances. And then I realized in 2000 that there is a new report which already focused on the invisibility of all the persons in the human rights system. And I, I, I really started to think about, yes, that's true. In all my topics, older persons are not really visible, only if it, if it comes to care, care settings and social securities. Mm -hmm. But all in the other settings, if it's related to, <clears throat> let's say, housing, for example, it's not really in the focus of the politicians and of the human rights people. Or when we're talking now the new topics, for example, um, let's say digitalization. It has a lot of impact on all the persons, but they are not part of the decision-making process mostly. Their ideas are not very often taken into account when it goes to new tools, new ideas. So older persons are on the receiving end, but they are still not participating when the, when the things are developed. So from my perspective, when it comes also, for example, to climate change, you know, we are talking always about the future, but climate change right now has a specific and a major impact on older persons. Think about the heat waves, for example. The older persons are the ones who are dying first in this regard, and the right to life should be one of the most specific issues everybody thinks about in the first instance. And this is why I also thought, okay, this is a good idea to bring all the persons to the national level, to the regional level, and to the international level. This is how I started the topic, all the persons and human rights on the national level in Berlin and Germany. And it, yeah, and it was a very creative job in this regard. So um, I realized very, very fast that we are more or less the only ones in the national human rights systems which have a specific focus. There are a couple of others and now we are more and more. And this is how it started and where, where we are still. Older persons are still really overlooked and mostly invisible in the discussions. And this is why I took up the position to change this narrative and bring more awareness to the world. And you know, continuing al along that line, so you know, I, I sort of introduced the uh, the Human Rights Council in my intro, but you know, I, I briefly mentioned you know you've also been consulting for the Office uh, of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. That's Dr. Michelle Bachelet, who's the High Commissioner, um, and, and within that organization sits these United Nations principles for older persons, and and sort of uh, they're broken out into. Uh, I see, have five different categories, independence, participation, care, self-fulfillment, and dignity. Talk a little bit, if you would, about a little bit of the background of the creation of these United Nations principles, and then also sort of segueing from what you were just mentioning, what exactly does it mean to be an independent expert? I mean, obviously, you have, you're doing a bunch of other things, but um, who calls you up and says, you know, Dr. Mahler, we want you know, to work on this today and we want you to focus on X, Y, and Z. Uh, talk a little bit about what the role exactly entails. Okay, what is the Special Rapporteur on Independent Expert? It's more or less the same. There is a branch which is called Special Procedures in the Office of the High Commissioner. So it's part of the 
of the office, more or less. And we experts or special rapporteurs do this on a voluntary basis. So we are, we are independent, also from states, also from the office, and we do this all in our own capacity. So um, if I do my reports, for example, this is my opinion, and it's not always the opinion of the office or of another UN um, agency. Mm -hmm. So one needs to take into account that there is a mandate and for the independent expert on the enjoyment of all human rights by older persons, which is the, the, the long title uh, of the mandate, it is called that I have to do two reports each year, report to the Human Rights Council once and report to the General Assembly Third Committee. So these are two reports and per year, if it's possible, which was not possible for the last years, there I should also do two country missions. And these country missions are also essential because there you get the information from the ground. So you go to the country by invitation, you meet all the key stakeholders, the ministers, uh, some advisory boards and people which are really, you know, working on the ground and all the persons themselves. So you get firsthand information. And very often it is quite interesting to see that when you come from the outside, there are a couple of things which, which you realize <clears throat> by the first visit. But if you see those from the inside, you're so used to them. So you don't see them. Very often age discrimination is something which is visible if you're sensitive to it, if you see it from the outside, but it is not much seen from the inside. So this, for example, as you mentioned already, age discrimination and ageism are one of the main issues where you really can raise awareness. When you come to a country and speak with the people, you know, what are your key messages in these action plans? Have you included all the persons in emergency plans? Where can older persons participate in the lawmaking process? Are they included in the community to, to, to get or to have a chance to participate, a meaningful participation when it comes to different settings, like infrastructure, for example? You know, there are a lot of different things. If people are living in the rural areas, on the one hand, older persons should not drive. But if there is no public transport, what should they do? Or for example, um, if you need healthcare services, how should you connect? You should connect via internet, but who's giving you support in this regard if you live somewhere in the rural areas? Is there a structural support? Yes or no? Who can you address? How do you get the information? Is it easy to get the information? And very often when it comes, for example, to support services, then you inquire how easy it is to get this kind of support. Then you realize that there are, I, I don't want to say um, barriers, but there are many administrative barriers who hinder you to achieve this kind of service. And I think everybody of us knows when we support our parents or our grandparents in different issues mm -hmm. that we that they need to fill in a couple of things for administrative issues to get support or get something sorted out to get the information so these some are sometimes just small things but with a very practical implication 
And if you go to the country, you see it quite easily. And this is something what I was missing during the last years mm -hmm. because of the COVID crisis. You know, older persons had the biggest impact, negative impact of the crisis, but I could not go there and see what's happening. So also the monitoring was not available for all older persons more or less around the world. So this is also something very crucial. But let me come back also to my reports. So what I said, you know, I'm missing the firsthand information from the country visits because I didn't manage to go to different countries. I had only one country visit. Maybe I should include this for fairness. I went to Finland and it was really exciting and I, I got a lot of insights and I will release this report next uh, this year in September to the Human Rights Council, where I need to report on country missions. Mm -hmm. But in regard of thematic reports, uh, as you can imagine, I started in May 2020 in the middle of the crisis. Yeah. And the first thing was, okay, what had the major impact? It was COVID. So my first report was dedicated to COVID and the impact on the human rights of older persons. And as you can imagine, uh, we came across a lot of violations of human rights in this regard, in case of autonomy, in case of services, in case of support, in case of monitoring or um, healthcare services. And yes, I think we all have a lot to do in this regard to keep in mind that older persons need to be part of an action plan or an emergency plan so they can't be overlooked. And this is true, more or less, worldwide. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm going I'm to get into some of those themes because I, I, I read some of the, uh, the different reports that you were quoted in terms of uh, climate change and COVID. But I just wanted to briefly stop at um, uh, the, the Council of Europe uh, report that you, you wrote the, uh, the foreword in this. This is just a couple of months ago uh, entitled Against Ageism and Towards Active Social Citizenship for Older Persons, uh, the Current Use and Future Potential of the European Social Charter. And here, you, you know, as you were just saying, you talk about the uh, so-called evolving realities uh, and, and the need for the social charter to understand, as you were just saying, um, we have a, a legacy here of ageism in law, in policy, in practice, uh, and that um, we need to address all this in terms of building, as you're saying, more resilient societies. Talk just a little bit about your involvement in, in working with the Council of Europe on this very important recent report. Yeah, my, my engagement was more or less that um, some very good friends reached out to me, which did the report. So Jared Quinn and Israel Doron, mm -hmm. they both did the report. Uh, as you all know, or the world already knows, very dedicated experts to the human rights field. And we also discussed this with the Council of Europe and with, the, um, um, with some members of the Committee of the Social Charter. And we all agree that we have something which we can use. But when you look on the national level, Article 23, which is the dedicated article to all the persons, mm -hmm. is not very often used. And so, you know, um, we really need, as, as you said already, we really need to bring this to the practice. And I was involved in this regard, as, as you mentioned in advance, you know, 
who is reaching out to you and asking you to give uh, support in this regard or do your work? So in this regard, it was uh, my colleagues who reached out to me to um, also yeah, support them and their work and the work of the Council of Europe in this regard, because it's mm -hmm. also uh, underestimated and underlooked or overlooked on many issues. And this also brings us to the UN level as well. You know, we now have this Council of Europe, a social charter for a very long time, but not all European uh, states, or let's say not all the states of the Council of Europe has already ratified this. So there are still many countries which don't have ratified their uh, revised social charter, which is the one who includes this article on all the persons. So many are not um, happy enough to have this wonderful uh, example of a social charter. They are just staying with the former one, with the old one, let's mm. say. And this also brings us to the, from my perspective, to the UN system. We still don't have any convention with a specific focus on older persons. As many of you know, we do have a convention on the rights of the child. We do have a convention on persons with disabilities. We do have a convention with a specific focus on women. But none of these specific conventions have a focus on old age. Many of them, like um, CEDAW, for example, take into account, uh, which is um, in regard to women, um, which takes into account a life course approach, but you don't find much references on older persons. They do have uh, specific recommendations for older women, but not they cannot tackle it on a daily basis, let's say it like this, because there are too many topics for women that they cannot focus totally on all the issues in relation of all the women. So this is part of the problem, problem in the UN system. We don't have a convention with a specific focus on older, older age, older persons. Because as we all have seen, the rights need a specific, need to be more specific for older persons to guide the states perfectly, what they really need to do on the national level. You have um, been quoted and, and, and been writing a bit, as you, as you were saying at the beginning, uh, about the issues. And, and you, you know, I said you started this in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, and, and we think, you know, one of the main things I guess we see um, when it comes to older persons with regard to COVID is, you know, here's this population that is more vulnerable to the disease itself. But as you were pointing out, um, there's a lot more going on here in terms of violence, uh, neglect, nursing home abuse, obviously the you know, major nursing home fiasco uh, here in the U.S. at the beginning of things. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the core issues that you've been focusing on as you've been highlighting the issue uh, as it pertains to COVID and, and elder abuse over the last two years. Yeah, you, you see, uh, one of the things which is already missing is that if we talk about um, violations of of uh, older persons, very often it's a taboo. You know, nobody wants to speak about violence, abuse and neglect in old age. Uh, it's very often related to power relations. It's very often related to family circumstances. 
if it comes to institutions, it's easier. But from my perspective, the big black box is all the persons living in the community because we don't have a monitoring there. We don't really know who's supporting them. We don't, and they don't know where to go if there is a perpetrator, if there is violence, abuse, and neglect. Regularly, there, the power relations shows quite clearly that they don't have a chance to report to somebody as a monitoring body. You know, where should they go? To the police? Or is there anybody monitoring them? Mm -hmm. Regularly not. So it's easier to detect this kind of violations in nursing homes. But on the other hand, I would say the big black box is still when they are living on their own. Mm -hmm. But um, frankly speaking, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing a perfect job in the nursing system. And there are a lot of older persons who support their um, their family members, their mothers, their daughters, whatever, or their husbands, their spouses. And many of them are already older persons, mm -hmm. which do this, you know, on a voluntary basis without any support. And this is needs also be taken into account what kind of positive impact older persons have in this kind of issues. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not only black and white. I, we all know there is a, a big gray zone. But when it really comes to violations uh, during the COVID crisis, we have seen that that the monitoring was missing, that older persons were really left behind without any support, with any nutrition, with no drinking at all. And, you know, they could not survive in this kind of circumstances. And the truth is that many of them died alone with no support from their loved ones because there was restriction going on and the, the system was not really in charge of the emergency. So they, they could not protect the older persons in this regard and the system did not adapt as fast as possible as it was needed. Mm. And I hope, I really hope that now we are going to the fifth wave, some are going to the fourth wave, maybe some are going to the sixth wave, that we learned something in this regard. But when we check how many older persons are dying still alone in nursing homes without enough support or alone at home without enough support, mm -hmm. we need to achieve something in this regard. And if the states really need more guidance, I just can say, okay, then it's time to bring once again that we need to have a convention which guides states what is really needed in this regard to the enjoyment of all human rights mm -hmm. by all the persons, to living dignity, get uh, all the rights for participating and get acknowledged their positive impact and not only be seen as a vulnerable group, which is not true. Um, one other report I want to ask about, or one other um, panel discussion that you were involved in, uh, June 2021, this was the, uh, as you mentioned, the, the discussion on the effects of climate change on older people. And, you know, you make a, a very interesting point here that, you know, you talk about the, 
the interaction between ageism, age discrimination, and climate change. But then there's this, you know, sort of a terrifying underlying theme there uh, in sort of the climate change narrative in some of these developing countries of human trafficking. Um, can you say a few words about this as well? Because I think this kind of also gets lost in when we think about the vulnerability equation. You know, we have women that are more vulnerable than men, children more than adults, but the elderly in this equation, extremely vulnerable to human trafficking uh, as well. Can you talk a little bit about that and that panel? Um, yeah, that's uh, on the one hand, it's true and it's still overlooked and not really visible that older persons can also be victims of trafficking of older persons. And um, there's also another thing uh, which we can also take into account is older persons as refugees yeah. or IDPs. Um, when when we see the situation, how older persons are treated in all these circumstances, it's more or less the same because n nobody really thinks about them. So they are not in in the focus of, of the agencies who support them. There is not enough uh, exit strategics uh, for them. And there is nobody really with a focus to give them support. So it's more or less the same. These are issues where older persons are overlooked, we are not taking into account, and we are still missing the measures which would be needed in this regard. So there is not much else to say uh, from a, a broader perspective. As you know, I'll look on most of these issues from a global perspective. Mm -hmm. So there are recommendations in this regard to include them in all these specific issues. And when we also see sometimes, you know, where the, as we all know, there, there are major projects around the world, but if there is no focus in these uh, global perspectives and action plans, then there are no measures and nobody who really focus on them and support them in this regard. So it is, as we started from our beginning, they are invisible, and they are overlooked in this regard. So what we need to do is bring all these issues to the discussions and really ask the people, is there some evidence? Are there some data? Because also in the data, if you check, all the persons are largely missing. There are age caps in many circumstances. We were talking about violence against older persons and especially violence against older women. When it comes to data, you don't find the older women in this regard. There are many often, especially in sexual violence. Uh, 55 is ending, you know, it's the end of the data uh, which you can find. And to be honest, it's not true that there is no sexual harassment later on or no sexual violence. Right. So how can we work on these issues? If we are missing the data, if we are missing the evidence, if we don't know how exactly we should uh, we should bring specific measures into these settings to combat these violence. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why I always say first we need to start with information awareness raising, raising data and then come up with the right measures mm -hmm. to combat these issues. Yeah, and, and it's. Uh, I, I, I really, <laughs> I take my hat off to you to, to you know, to the fact that you're uncovering and 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 making some of these issues known because they're they're extremely serious. Um, 
going to a, a slightly more positive uh, topic um, along the lines of, of what we're discussing. Um, 59th session of the Commission for Social Development uh, back in February 2021. Uh, you were involved, as uh, you mentioned a little bit about digitalization earlier on, you were involved in a panel, digital technologies and, and older persons, a smart mix. And here you uh, start introducing the concept of digital inclusion, uh, how digital technologies can enhance uh, in the enjoyment of human rights by older persons. Um, I, I had, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw a couple of months ago, I had uh, uh, Rockley uh, Verite from the uh, UN um, uh, Criminal uh, Rights Center and, you know, talking a little bit about digitalization and in sort of uh, helping them to monitor some of these uh, issues that we were just discussing. Uh, talk a little bit, though, about the, the, the more positive side here. And uh, obviously we want digital inclusion, but how digital technologies uh, are beneficial and, and can help uh, in the process of human right enjoyment. Yeah, there, there are specific topics, I would say. Uh, one is, uh, from my perspective, as said before, information. Mm -hmm. If you are able to enter, you know, uh, the digital world, it's easy to get all the information you need, the services and support, and also, you know, make your life much easier, even in old age, in rural areas, wherever. But if you're not able to do this, you, <laughs> you are left behind once again. Because um, as we all know, who will give you the support mm -hmm. to enter the digital world? And um, this is what I always say, we need some kind of focal points. Where are those focal points or these support services where you just ask, you know, you know, I now do have my iPhone. How do I enter this? You mm -hmm. know, and there are no stupid questions, but sometimes it's just a small thing. And if your relatives live far away, you mostly don't have anybody to ask. So I think we need somebody or some kind of engagement in this, in this kind of issues, like in the community where you can call, you know, could you help me with this or that, or go to some support stuff. I, I've learned, for example, which I found quite interesting in Finland is that you can get support in libraries. So you go to a library and there they have all these digital, digital infrastructure and they give you a helping hand in this regard. So um, you can make your appointment, you can have your tailor medicine appointment via these virtual helping societies in this regard. But um, as said before, during the COVID crisis, more or less everybody was closed down and also mm -hmm. the libraries. Mm -hmm. So we are still missing uh, these kind of support services. And I'm still waiting um, for a, a state or a very good, um, I don't know, agency to tell me how they could deal with this mm -hmm. to close the gap in this regard. But I also learned that some of the technicians already think about to include older persons to make these new technologies easier to access. So I think this is already something very good. So it's more like universal design with the inclusion of older persons. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good for all of us. Um, but on the other hand, um, if you check how many older persons are really included in this kind of discussions, I think there is still a lot of room to fill. So um, mostly the digital world is still focusing on youth, mm -hmm. not on older persons. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be 
very good for some of the companies to take this into account to see that there is also a big market in this regard. Um, then I already said, you know, in, in the cases of uh, telemedicine, I think it can be very useful to get fast support. You don't have to drive there. You don't need to have an appointment. It might be very easy and very comfortable. Then we also know that there are a lot of <clears throat> services already around. If you uh, need some support in your home, there are digital solutions already on, uh, with robotics, uh, with um, alarm issues, something like this, or, or just smart solutions, as we call them. But I'm not sure if every older person right now would trust them. Mm. So I think there's still a lot of advertising or, you know, bringing this to the people, not only telling them, you know, in, in ads, in, in TV shows. I don't know how they, those things are really promoted. Sometimes it might be the doctor or the nurse who brings it to the person where already we have some kind of trust in the mm -hmm. system. But if this is missing, I'm not sure if everybody would be so happy to have something in his home which he doesn't or she doesn't really trust. Mm. So I think this is still a long way where we need to see if these kind of things are helpful or can take, part, uh, can take over some parts of the services, not all. Because I think what we still need is personal inclusion and personal exchange. Mm -hmm. we, it's not good enough to have only telecommunication, the nurse only coming through, um, through Zoom or some other uh, platform. We still need somebody because we are social people. And I think also older people really needs this kind of social exchange. Mm -hmm. But I think there are, there are very smart solutions which need to be promoted, but where we also need to take into account that who, who is able to have this kind of um, support then? Is it only for the rich ones? Do you get this on social services? Do you get this from your health care providers? I'm not sure about this. So it also needs to take into account the diversity of persons. It also needs to, needs to take into account the social diversity of person and the power relation. You've mentioned... Um... Finland a couple of times during uh, our talk today, and it, it got me thinking of the uh, World Health Organization's um, global sort of age-friendly cities uh, network, and they have these sort of these eight uh, different uh, uh, domains that they help identify. Uh, you know, these these pockets around the world that uh, are, are are becoming more age-friendly in terms of social participation, entertainment, employment, and so forth. Uh, you know, reducing isolation and risks of loneliness, things of this nature. I know you haven't had a chance to travel that much the last couple of years, but um, are there other pockets, uh, other populations, things that you've seen in your travels or in your discussions, whether they be in Finland or elsewhere, that, uh, hey, these are good models uh, of where we should be going with this ageism, with this age discrimination issue in 2022 and beyond? To be honest, no, I haven't traveled. <laughs> As, I have only been to I've only been to Finland. This is why I'm referring to Finland as one of the models. Uh, sorry for this. No, but, I, 
Yeah, yeah, but I know that uh, we had a discussion, for example, where um, Mortem Kerum came as an ambassador of uh, smart cities, where he included also some examples in this regard. And I know that if you um, make it more diverse, more inclusive, it is also good for uh, as, as age-friendly cities, but mm -hmm. still... Um, I can't give you a very good example in this regard because I haven't visited one of those cities. I, I, I did not come up with any very good solutions, so it would not be fair, to be honest. But I'm sure there is something out there, and I'm looking forward to learn more about these cities. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Um, United Nations World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, annually June 15th. Um, how, has, how has that helped. Uh, I, I mean, obviously we have a defined day now uh, in terms of awareness. Um, is it, is it, uh, are we getting enough done on June 15th? Do we need a sort of a world elder abuse week or month to focus on these issues? Um, talk a little bit about the, uh, that designation, if you would. I think the day is perfect to raise awareness, but what we really need to do is to change the system. Yeah. Because as long as older persons are not the priority in the UN, on the national level or on the regional level, the whole system will not you know, change. So these kind of awareness days are perfect to show quite clearly we are still working with stereotypes. Mm -hmm. There is a lot more under the surface, which is not visible. We are still lacking the data and we are still talking and discussing in silos. Mm -hmm. For example, as I said before, you know, when we talk about um, sexual violence, about women and girls, older persons, have, older women are very often not included in this because we are missing the data, we are missing the experience on the national level, we are missing the measures, we are missing the shelters with a specific focus on older women, if they need some kind of um, support. Uh, this is also true for women with disabilities. But, you know, if we don't manage to change the narrative in this regard and the pictures, the system will not change because there is not enough pressure, not enough power. This is why I think, from my perspective, what we really need is a human rights convention, which really closes the gap. Because what we have seen with the Convention of Persons with Disabilities, it is not only an awareness raising tool, mm -hmm. but it shows governments that they need to adjust their legal system, that they need to adjust their measures, they need to adjust their shelter system, their monitoring system, and you know all the different things. And you, if you have some kind of discussions on topics which are related to older persons and persons with disabilities more or less everybody knows how to deal with persons with disabilities mm -hmm. even though the system is still not perfect in this regard sure. but there is much more done because there is a convention which gives guidance to the governments and to the states what they really need to do and if we stay with you know uh, violence against those persons, it is quite clear that they know how to adapt their institutions, their monitorings. But if it comes to older persons, they are thinking, okay, in regard of persons with disabilities, we're talking about institutions. 
but care homes is a totally different setting. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to take this also into account. You know, the mindset is still, these are different categories and these are different silos and there is no specific human rights convention. It's just an issue of social inclusion of care, which is not true. We are talking about rights. What, uh, Claudia, do you have coming up? Uh, well, first of all, Happy New Year, but what's, uh, with, with things lifting uh, around the world, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, what, what do you have scheduled in 2022? Obviously, you're going to be getting out <laughs> beyond uh, and start traveling again and, and, and looking for these situations, these more positive situations. But uh, what's on the schedule? Where can we watch you, read what you're up to, follow you? Uh, take us on a couple minutes of uh, where Dr. Claudia Mahler uh, is going to be doing the next several months. As you might have seen, you know, we have a brand new Twitter channel where we started in November. So yep. <laughs> you can follow us there. Uh, I'm happy to have a colleague who is doing the job behind this and he's very good. <laughs> uh, and this is also something where we close the gap a little bit. But what I really want to do is also to promote my reports from 2001, uh, 2021, mm -hmm. uh, the one on older women. Because I see, as I said before, you know, the, the women's movement is so powerful, but they are not really focusing on older women. So I really try to bring these to the Commission of Women, for example, with a side event with some colleagues, and we will see how, how many other events there will be. So I will also try to bring this once again to the Human Rights Council, to one of the Human Rights Council sessions to discuss this in depth. What especially do we need uh, to further the enjoyment of all human rights for older women? Another thing uh, where we have focused last year is ageism and age discrimination. And as you know, there is this decade on healthy aging with a global report on ageism. Yep. And I really want still to promote uh, to my report and the global report to show quite clearly that ageism is more or less everywhere. It's in the law, it's in our heads, it's in our mindsets, it's also in our stereotypes when we talk about older persons. As you, as you a couple of times tried to bring the notion of let's focus on something positive because it's always that old age is related with something negative, vulnerability. That's just natural. And this is why I also think, you know, we need to think about how can we reframe it a little bit differently. It's, and also bring up the notion, you know, we are not talking about just five years or something. Right. If, if you ask a regular person in the street who's an older person, he might say, oh, retirement age around 60, 65 or 70, something like this. Mm -hmm. And then you see, you know, our life expectancies went up a lot. We're talking about 20 to 30 years right now. It's different around the world, but still it's a really long period where persons are very active, where they are very supportive, where they can learn a lot, where we also see this in lifelong learning. But if you ask somebody what, uh, what's his stereotype or what's his picture of an older person, it, he will not tell you, yes, a person going to university and gets his right of lifelong learning. 
regularly, it will be something different. Mm. So this is where I also want to show quite clearly that we need to change the picture of an older person, the image, the stereotypes, and we need to do this not only on an awareness raising campaign, but also include this in our examples to bring it to our stories, you know, because when, when you look, you know, many of the persons I'm sure you talk to are already some older persons. In regard of the labor market, I would be an older person already. You know, in, you talked with uh, many other persons who might be already an older person, but they were very active. They were very focused. They were the ones who want to change the system. Sure. So why don't we bring these persons, you know, to to the story and tell, you know, those are also older persons. And I was very happy when Michelle Bachelet, for example, said, oh, I think I'm already part of the older persons group. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, what a positive example. And also, yeah. you know, um, Antonio Guterres said the same. Uh, Secretary General, I think I'm already one of those older persons. <laughs> but, you know, those are the powerful leaders. Yeah of our time. But if we ask people who's an older person, nobody will think about them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure about this. Yeah. So let us start to bring the positive examples, as we said before, to our conversation and show that older persons are participating, contributing, and have many good ideas. And I have many older persons who are much more digital knowledgeable than I am. So um, this is also true. You know, they're, they are very diverse. There are a lot of different settings. And we also need to bring these positive stories to the audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Extremely, extremely important message. Um, it's um, a major uh, initiative, Claudia, that you have uh, in front of you and, and really rooting you on and, and wishing you the best with all of this. I uh, can't think of anyone better to lead such a challenge, but I, it's just very impressive um, everything that you've been doing and writing about, speaking on and, and, and raising the awareness on this front. Um, for everybody uh, that's going to be listening to uh, this episode uh, across our podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel, uh, again, you've been listening to Dr. Claudia Mahler, independent expert on human rights of older persons at the United Nations Human Rights Council, uh, doing really amazing things to increase awareness and address the challenges that older persons are facing, enhancing international thinking uh, and action on human rights of older persons. Uh, Claudia, again, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us for a little while about these issues. Uh, thanks to everything you're doing there. Uh, and as we say on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow uh, through what you're doing. It's, it's so very impressive. Thank you. Let's look forward to all our future. As I always say, you know, combating ageism is all our future. It's an investment. Thank you. Absolutely. Be well. <laughs>